preaching at the 2 p.m. service. Then you got Derek preaching here at the 9 a.m. service, Clint preaching at the 12 noon service, David preaching here uh, in the 9 o'clock service as well. I'm like, you know, I, I don't have the pedigree and I don't have that, you know, I don't have that much knowledge. But anyway, thankfully, uh, thank you again. <laughs> thank you, Derek. Uh, thankfully, the topic is on evangelism and it's something that's near and dear to my heart and it's something that I feel comfortable talking about. It's something that I feel like um, God has really taught me a lot of things through the years, you know, how to, how to really imitate his heart. You know, I, I like what uh, Derek shared earlier about uh, this being the Passion Week and, you know, how we go through, you know, just ups and downs about the Hosanna and the Crucify. Uh, because that's true, you know, we, even as disciples, as in our attempt to, to reach out to people, you know, we, we do make mistakes sometimes, you know, and sometimes too we're super effective. But at the end of the day, it's never really about the technique. It's really about just uh, capturing the heart of Jesus. Um, I want to start off uh, with a prayer, and then uh, let's dive into the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to, to learn more about how you really influence people, God. Uh, Father, uh, you made such an impact that uh, through Jesus and his, uh, and his stay here on earth, God, um, the people that he touched, God, you know, were changed so much that they were able to evangelize the known world at the time. And uh, in our lives, God, we look at our lives too, the way that you've changed us, Father, it's, it's amazing, God. Uh, I pray that we'll be able to replicate that as, and share it to other people as well, because I know your dream and your heart is to reach out to every single one. I pray that you use the scriptures and you speak through me, God, as a vessel. Uh, we, we love you. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. 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 So yesterday, as you read from the news, uh, there was this uh, march for our lives that took place, right? It was well attended, very well supported. Uh, people, young people, very young people really making a stand against gun violence. Um, so you think about that, uh, a lot of us were not able to participate, but what, what can we contribute to become part of that solution? You know, and I like this uh, Facebook post that uh, this retired teacher made, and he, he wrote it really as an open letter to students, but I feel like it also applies to us. And I want to read in part. Because he says, you know, um, you know all this... Um, just rallying is good. But you are the answer. Your greeting, your smile, your gentle human touch is the only thing that can change the world of a desperate person who may be contemplating something as bad as a school shooting. So you need to look past yourself. You need to put down your phone. You, look in, you need to look into the eyes of your fellow students, your friends, who no one else sees. Meet the gaze of a fellow human being desperate to make contact with anyone, even just one person. You. Your new friendship can relieve the heartache of one person. And in doing so, it can possibly prevent the unjustifiable heartache of hundreds of lives in the future. I know you. I trust you. You are the answer. You know, uh, it was a great uh, open letter. And, I, you know, ob obviously there were varied reactions, right? Because I do think you can address this issue from a regulatory standpoint. But really, it also boils down to us. You know, how do we interact with people? Because we carry with us a lot of that power to be able to change the course of a person's life. In a nutshell, what he's saying is that if we have compassion, we can actually, you know, avert self-destructive plans that a person may be contemplating, and I agree. In simple terms, compassion, which Jesus demonstrated, is a deep awareness of another accompanied by the wish that you could take their place and relieve it. 
Jesus was a man of compassion. Let's turn to the first slide, please. Um, in a span of three years, if you look at it, Jesus made such a lasting impact. And I said this in my prayer. But every person that he spoke with, and it's only four Gospels, right? It's only a few pages. But it's amazing because just the depth of that one-liner that Jesus did or spoke or, you know, that touch or that message that he gave, it left, it left, it left such a lasting impression that it was enough to change their lives. In fact, when Jesus died and uh, he, was, he, he was risen back uh, to life and then he went back to heaven, those people that he spoke with had enough motivation to evangelize the known world at that time. So, um, so if you think about it, uh, how do we capture even just a little bit of that? So we may not be able to live up to that standard of compassion that Jesus had. But even if we just practice it in some small way, we too can change the world. The title of my lesson today is Influencing Others, the Jesus Model. So what better person to look at than Jesus, right? How did Jesus do this? You know, our evangelist tells us, go and make disciples. Evangelize this world. Make a difference. You know, change somebody's life. Well, how do we do it? We need to look at Jesus. So uh, maybe I could throw that as an open question. How do you think Jesus changed lives? Like what is the first thing that comes to your mind? I can't hear. Loving them, okay. Yeah, that's that definitely Jesus was a very loving person. What else? He had compassion for what they were going through because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's correct. He didn't judge anyone. Amen. Yeah, he, he, he saw their suffering, and he felt that suffering. You know, uh, those are all correct answers. I want to boil it down to just three main things today. Number one was Jesus genuinely cared for people. Number two, he also listened. He listened deeply to people's concerns, questions, and insights. And number three, he didn't just leave it at caring and listening, but he also called them. He called them to a greater purpose. In Gordon's message last week, uh, if you haven't had a chance to hear it, it's online. It's an awesome message on evangelism. He discussed the three ways that Jesus made an impact. He said he made an impact spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Of course, the priority is the spiritual compassion that he had. But it is almost an interrelated process where, you know, uh, you have to actually meet people's physical needs and emotional needs so that the soil is tilled enough then you can make a spiritual impact on their lives. So what is it that we learn from Jesus? Let's, let's go to those points. First point, Jesus genuinely cared for people. Okay, so let's look at the scriptures. Um, so I have four scriptures there, so I'm just going to run through them really quick. So Luke chapter 19, verse 5. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay in your house today. So who was Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was definitely not popular. People did not want to be associated with him. But Jesus took the time to actually look him in the eye and said, you know, I know you. Can we have a meal together? John chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? You know, this is another interaction. It's an unusual interaction. You know, Jews and Samaritans don't really talk to each other. A man doesn't normally talk to a woman directly. And yet Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman. You know, what do we see here? Um, so sometimes we choose to be friends with those that we feel are kind of like us. 
right? And um, also, as parents, and I can relate to this, sometimes we try to control who the friends our kids will have because we worry that bad character will corrupt, you know, bad company will corrupt good character. But Jesus shows us that it's not about that. It's all about intention. And uh, how do you avoid being influencing by people that you feel may be a bad influence to you? By being upfront about the, the help that you want to be able to give this not-so-ideal person. In this case, in the Samaritan woman, uh, Jesus actually read through all the babble that she had. And she just directly addressed the heart by telling him, I am the living water. And I'm sorry, but the person you're living with is not even your husband. So he kind of like addressed two key issues in such a short time that the woman knew that he wasn't kind of flirting with her. There was no hidden interest there. But he really just wanted to help her. In the end, she ended up saying, you are the Messiah. And she went out and spread that to other people. In John chapter 8, verses 10 to 11, this is the adulterous woman. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, again, another person, this time caught deep in sin publicly and very much ashamed of what she had done. She had hit rock bottom. But somebody who needs grace and mercy, Jesus cared for her to give her a second chance. John 11, verse 33 and 35, this time it was Lazarus. He died. So when Jesus saw and uh, it just her. It's in the Bible, it says her, but that was Mary he was referring to. And uh, when, he saw, when he saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, says Jesus wept. You know, Jesus here, you could see that somebody mentioned it earlier, but he related with them. He felt their emotional pain. He grieved with them. He paused and took time to even cry. But then, of course, he went on to perform the miracle of raising Lazarus back to life. But you could see that kind of care that Jesus gives. So these are just four snapshots of Jesus caring. But we can learn a lot. So what is the difference between the depth of Jesus caring versus the usual caring that we offer as kind of good people, right? So number one, we could see here, uh, there's definitely a big difference in the way that Jesus initiated with people that even us sometimes don't want to be associated with. Jesus gladly welcomed these people into his life, and he cared for them. What kind of people are you, currently, are you currently caring for? You know, are you just caring for people that you feel is a good association to have? Because this person can help you, you know, reach your dreams and goals and help you become a better person. Are you limiting yourself to these kinds of associations? Or are you also willing to help those that are not of good reputation? What about those people that, that tend to drain you of your time and your emotion? You know, those relationships that are difficult? Or sometimes it's not reciprocal because you feel like you give more than you're able to receive? How are you handling those? What about relationships that are not comfortable? They're not in the same wavelength as you are. You know, or maybe these people are just not so cool. Do we have that same care for them as we do those other people who like us and who lift us up and who always compliment us? If we are to care like Jesus did, we cannot pick or choose our relationships. 
we need to, we cannot be careful, too careful to just build the right relationships around us. We need to care unconditionally. The second thing we learn here is that the way that Jesus cares, he did not just care once, okay, or twice. But Jesus cared multiple times, even through times of betrayal, through lack of gratitude, and through outright disownment. You know, an example of this is, is Peter, right? So after all the time invested with him and the promises made by Peter, Peter still denied him. And Peter actually gave up at some point and went back to fishing. But did that, you know, cause Jesus to also close his heart and not care for him enough? I mean, he spent so much time training this person. And now he has to sit down with him and he doesn't even know how he will respond, right? Well, Jesus cared for him enough to sit down with him and gently restore his heart. It's easy to care for people the first time or help the first time. But what if the need to care happens over and over again? What if you get hurt over and over again? In this next slide, um, showing you a picture of, um, you know, you probably some of you have already met them through some of our gatherings, but these are our Filipino friends. Um, basically, um, We've known them, so we only know one of these couples, actually. Uh, and then we met the other two couples to that other couple. But uh, we've built a friendship with them over the past seven years. And, uh, you know, we're grateful for this friendship because in a small way, it's really challenging our hearts to care like Jesus did. Why? Okay, this is what we're learning. Um, for, so first of all, we don't mind being associated with them. This is not a situation where we don't like hanging out with them. We do. But we care about them so much that as we witness the things that they're going on through life, we definitely feel like, man, if only we could speak to them directly and study the Bible with them, what a difference this would make in their marriage, in their family. But how do you cross that invisible line where you feel like, man, I'm going to rock the boat with my friendship here because it's like uncomfortable, right? So it took us a lot of time to pray and really seek advice. And then a few years ago... this is like after our third Labor Day camping out together. We finally mustered the courage to be like Jesus. And then we said, so guys, you know, we, we love this friendship. We're great. It's great that our kids can grow up together. But, you know, we feel a little guilty. And that's how I introduced it. Because I said, um, Marvin and I, you know, we're very active at church. And so we studied the Bible with a lot of people, people that we've only just met that we don't even know. And, you know, we feel guilty when we see you guys because we really do care for you. We care for you a lot, and yet we haven't really had that opportunity to, you know, basically level up our friendship into a spiritual friendship. And so it was, I was nervous doing this. And finally, I just said, you know, um, so basically what I'm wondering if, wondering if this could happen is, if, can we have a monthly Bible talk with you guys? You know, it's just an informal Bible discussion, you know, just so that we could elevate our friendship. And at the same time, you know, we can learn from you, and you can also learn from what God has been teaching us. And so there was silence. There was like nothing. This was an outdoor communion service we did because they always make me preach during those campouts. And then um, finally one of their teen kids raised their hand and said, I don't mind having a Bible study. And then eventually another hand rose up, another hand rose up. So long story short, they ended up agreeing to monthly Bible talks. So that's great. So we go through, you know, the parables of the Bible, stories in the Old Testament. 
That's a good first step. But it's that, you know, of course, you want to deepen it. Like, how do we transition this, you know? And then um, one of the couples uh, went through a financial crisis. And lo and behold, Marvie and I just survived the financial crisis as well. So we felt like God has taught us a lot. We're still suffering the consequence about that. And uh, we're attending this class called Financial Peace. Would you be interested to join us? And so this couple started attending. And we were so excited, like, this is it, this is it. And so they attended uh, Financial Peace, but after a few classes, they dropped out. Because they felt like um, it doesn't quite apply to our situation now, you know. I think it's too ideal from where we're at. And so you feel like, man, you know, okay. So friendship continues. And then just over the holidays, uh, a couple... Uh, the same couple actually went, uh, hit rock bottom in their marriage. So really, really bad. So it was a, such a turmoil that we had to be there, went to, you know, housed, you know, one of them in a hotel, meet with the family, a lot of tears, a lot of crying. And then, of course, a lot of guidance from the Bible. So we, the only thing we could offer them at that time was a friendship. And so we prayed with them and we told them, you know, you know what we're going to say, right? The only answer to this is truly if you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Because how do you repair this relationship? You can't without Jesus. And so we offered them, again, you know, just the opportunity to study the Bible. And so one party said, thank you, you know, but let me take some time to think about this. The other party said, yes, I want to study the Bible. So you know, it was the wife. So Marvy met up with her and studied the Bible with her a couple of times. But again, every time it comes to that point where this is so tough, you could see them back down. You know, and so this is a very emotional relationship for us. It's over years. But truly our heart is we pray, we pray, we pray that one of these days, you know, God will just soften their hearts and uh, eventually get them ready to become real disciples. But we learn from Jesus. We shouldn't give up on relationships. We need to continue tilling the soil, watering, you know. Will it grow? Only God can make it grow. What about you, you know? Are you involved with people like these in your lives? Do you have these long-term friendships, you know? Or do you tend to move on because you feel like this person is not that open? And your time is so precious, you might as well invest in those who are more open, who might become a disciple sooner. Both kinds of people exist. Both kinds of friendships exist. But we need to care like Jesus did, you know, and we should not give up. The positive side about this is one of these people, I'm not going to tell you who, but it's my boss. So when we went to the men's series, there's a 360-degree review that you're supposed to ask from people around you. So I included him. So I'm just curious, what does he want to say? Well, the positive thing is he actually does take notice of everything. And it was so detailed, his review of me was so detailed that I was really amazed and encouraged. In a nutshell, basically he said that he considers me one of the godly men that he highly emulates because I walk the talk. When it comes to seeking first the kingdom of God. Then he went on to note, like, for one, you know, in our friendship, he really didn't settle for just a social relationship. He wanted us to have Bible studies, not just dinners or outings. And then he also saw our dedication to help this other couple who hit rock bottom. He said, man, they really went out of their way to counsel them. So 
if you think about it, um, amen, you know. Um, God is building slowly but surely. So the impact may not be direct. Sometimes they just observe you, you know what I mean? So I share this not to boast of myself because you know from my several testimonies that I'm, I have a lot of weaknesses and Marvie knows firsthand what these are. <laughs> but <laughs> I share this because I want to inspire you that if we borrow just a little bit of the compassion that Jesus had and care for our friends, we can influence their lives and change the direction of their lives. Amen. Okay, so um, the next point is Jesus listens to people's concerns, questions, and insights. Okay, so the scriptures that I chose here are Luke chapter 2. This is interesting. Jesus was 12 years old. He was left behind, and his parents had to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Do you see that? Jesus actually asked questions. He asked questions from the temple teachers. I found that really interesting because he's willing to listen to their insights. He's willing to listen, okay, what do you truly believe in? What are your convictions? John chapter 3, verse 9, Nicodemus got up with him at night because he was like uh, one of the leaders, right? Uh, one of the Jewish leaders. But um, Jesus took time to listen. And even though Nicodemus was, again, like the Samaritan woman beating around the bush, you know, Jesus actually read through that and answered the questions that he truly had. He said, the only way is you believe uh, in the Son of God, right? And he said, if you are born of water and spirit. In John chapter 20, verse 27, so he had resurrected and all. Everybody was rejoicing except this one apostle, one of these disciples, Thomas. But instead of like just putting that under the rug and moving on, everyone else believed anyway. He said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, come over here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus took time to restore the faith of um, Thomas and helped him overcome his unbelief. So you see here that Jesus really listens. He, listen, he listens deeply. And so he's able to help them because he's so perceptive that way. Um, in this next slide, uh, let's see. Okay. Yeah, you guys know them, right? So that's Luke and Rita Lancaster. Okay, so um, you know a little bit of the story, but uh, just to refresh you, Luke was an analyst who worked under my team. So, of course, HR laws prohibit me from directly inviting him to study the Bible. So when he quit, you know, I immediately took the opportunity to say, hey, you know, we have men's, it was 33 series. We have a men's midweek. Would you like to join? So he went to that 33 series. He loved the lesson, loved the fellowship afterwards. And so I asked him, so, you know, how's it? He said, well, thank you so much. You know, Luke is a religious person. He knows a lot about the Bible, okay? I said, so I know you're looking for a home church. I said, um, so you might consider this. He said, yeah, I'm going to my girlfriend's church and so on and so forth, right? And I said, you know, do you have anything that you particularly want to study about, like know more about? from the scriptures, and he did say, he said, well, I do have this question. I noticed that all the purity scriptures in the Bible address married men. He said, keep the marriage bed pure, you know, do not commit adultery. The context is always there's a married relationship, so do not be unfaithful to your wife. He said, are there any scriptures that actually address single men and women who are in love, you know, and are committed to marry each other? Is there really a scripture that directly addresses that? 
So I said, hmm, that's a really good question. <laughs> so, of course, that challenged me because now I have to find a scripture that's very, very direct, right? And I said, tell you what, why don't we meet up? You know, I'll give you time to research, you know, and let me, you know, allow me some time to do my own Bible study. And immediately after the conversation, I called the leaders, I called the brothers, you know, the family group leaders. Hey, everybody, all right, list down all the scriptures that you know about, you know, sexual purity. And let's, let's look through that and let's really see if this is correct, that there's no direct scripture that addresses this. Because I was nervous that there wasn't, you know. I believe it. I live it out. I believe in, like, you know, purity. I believe in celibacy. But is there a scripture that directly addresses it? So anyway, um, so all the brothers were so helpful. And so we gathered all the scriptures. And finally the time came and we sat down and looked through the scriptures. And true enough, there isn't necessarily a very, very direct, obvious scripture that addresses it. But there was one that particularly hit him. You know? So I'm just sharing with you the two things that hit him. It was one was God hates it when the women are no longer presented as virgins before their husbands. God really hates that. And so that is definitely inclusive of both married men and single men. Because it takes a man to violate, you know, a woman's virginity. And the other one was, you know, treat older women with respect and treat younger women like your sisters. You know, as we approach our dating relationship, you're not yet married. Are you treat, if she's older than you, are you treating her with respect? If she's younger than you, are you treating her like you would your sister? Or are you doing things that you wouldn't do to an older woman that you respect or a sister or a person that you consider a sister? And so it was amazing because at the end, I was so, you know, nervous about that time but at the end of the evening he definitely said man i do need to repent in this area so that kicked off the bible studies and then uh, he ended up aligning his life with the scriptures he became a disciple he reached out to his ex-girlfriend rita because they had to break up and then you know she became a disciple as well and they both now serve as missionaries in reynosa mexico reaching out to the people who are in the refugee camp over there but what an amazing story um and I learned that because I learned how to listen. You know, what about us? You know, do, you, do we listen enough so that we can know where people are coming from so that we can help them better? You know, are we willing to, new, are we willing to learn new spiritual things ourselves or unlearn old things that we probably had been trained in the past? You know, that probably as we mature as disciples, we can refine a bit so that we could meet people's needs better. The next uh, picture here is um, this, uh, our brother John Oliver. So he's the second person between Arsene and Byron. Okay, so recently, you know, um, times evolve. And we see that a lot of, we have a lot more older singles. And when you're an older single and you're professional, you know, you no longer beat around the bush, right? You kind of like want to develop relationships that will really mean something. And so, of course, we have sharp sisters, and they're awesome, you know, and there's a lot of men in the world interested in them, and they filter that out. And then finally, they meet somebody that they feel like this is a good, respectable man. And so they bring them to the fellowship, and we're introduced to them. And so, <laughs> and so what do we do, right? You know, um, John was actually a very good leader, um, very strong leader in his uh, men's ministry, in his church. And so I knew that he was very grounded in the word and, you know, lived a good life. But so we sat down, you know, and this is in a span of close to a year, really, uh, several months, um, maybe seven months or so. So anyway, got to know his life story. He got to know my life story. I shared about what I'm going through, 
ups and downs and everything. I was transparent with him. You know, he was transparent with me. He went through Bible studies. They did, it hit the bump. But then, because we were friends, he would just open up to me like, you know, uh, I need help understanding this more, you know, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, two things happened. Um, one is I learned a lot about how to do men's ministry. And so Clint and I are actually utilizing that knowledge now. Like, wow, that's why we had the men's series, right, which just concluded, and that was awesome. Um, at the same time, because the word is a double-edged sword, he also got convicted about just our commitment to making disciples. And at the same time, our commitment, again, to just purity and complete surrender to Christ in all areas of our life. Long story short, he ended up concluding that he needed to become a disciple. And so he got baptized, and amen, you know, he's now dating our sister in a godly relationship. So, uh, so yeah, so um, what I do with people who are strong in religious background is uh, I sincerely want to know their story. And, uh, and I tell them, I ask permission, I said, uh, I all, are you willing to also understand what we believe in as a church? You know, and see, how do, you, how do your beliefs and convictions align with what we believe in? Because if you want to have a relationship with this sister of ours, it's important that you're foundationally you're the same in your beliefs and convictions. Because how could you protect each other? And so because I approach it in such a respectful way, normally they, they're willing to look through the scriptures. And of course, we don't know how they will respond. We're studying with a couple more you know, men who are in the same situation. We don't know yet how they will respond. But the hope is always there that God will give them a new heart and a new spirit and that they will become true disciples. If they are already disciples, then we'll welcome them into the fellowship. But we need to be able to listen to people and not just feed them with information that we feel we need to give them, like in a cookie-cutter way, like this is it. Accept it or leave it. We need to listen like Jesus did. Amen. So uh, let's move on. So point number three, I guess. Yeah, point number three. Uh, Point number three, Jesus calls men to a higher purpose. So Matthew 4, 19, uh, this is where Jesus uh, called the brothers, right? Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John. Jesus said to them, follow me. I will teach you how to bring in people instead of fish. Right then, the two brothers dropped their nets and went with him. And then John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and live it to the full. Oftentimes, we as men go by goals versus goals and ambitions. You know, Goals are exciting because why? Of course, there's a sense of accomplishment when we're able to finish something. Get that college degree, get that master's degree, you know, get this 100,000 paying job. But the problem with goals too is that you hit the time, when you hit your goal, you're like, okay, so what's next? Versus a purpose, you know. Um, Actually, Solomon is a good example of that. He did so many things in his life, but he always came to that point of like, well, is there anything more? This is all meaningless, you know. Purposes, though, are different because uh, purposes survive because they pertain to why we exist. That It addresses that question. So purpose helps us focus our lives and give them direction so our goals do not become unrelated or hollow victories. Jesus cared enough that he clearly explained to people what the purpose of life is. So it's not just becoming the best fisherman, becoming the best, you know, whatever, carpenter, um, he clearly told them that, hey, there is the bigger picture. God wants to restore his relationship with you. But 
it doesn't end there. He also wants you to help restore other people's relationship with God. You know, I like that because Jesus didn't only care or listen, but he also gave them like a higher calling. It is this purpose that actually helped me survive last year. I went through, I don't know if it was already my midlife crisis, but definitely <laughs> I'm 45. But that was like a partial midlife crisis. Um, because I was feeling like, so is this my role, like to be a city group leader and this is it? Like, you know, and uh, you raise up people, but then they move on to other ministries, you know. So I felt like I don't think I'm that effective anymore. You know, maybe I should step down. And that's being honest. Um, but it's amazing because Derek said, you know, just, you know, let's pray about it. Just, just be patient. I hear you. I understand your concern. And so I did that. But during the course of the year, that's when, um, well, I turned 45, so there was my birthday. And there's a lot of people there. Um, but among those people were Luke and Rita and, you know, John Oliver and Mike and Sylvia Colifer and just several people, Aaron and Rosemary, the people that I'm really close to, um, in our ministry, and to hear them share about how, anyway, basically they got encouraged, right, by the way that God is working through my imperfect life. And because of that, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. It's like a performance review. It doesn't really matter if you get that three out of five, even though you would like that four or five, right? Because at the end of the day, let's say I died now, is God going to be able to say that I made a difference? And I do feel after that birthday party, like, yeah, I did make a difference. Amen. You know, I could die now. <laughs> uh, so that encouraged me. And I said, okay, I just want to keep on. I think this is it. I should not worry about roles, responsibilities, titles, or how people regard me. I just need to continue living my life as a disciple. You know, and follow the model that Jesus exampled. So... Um, I end with a few more questions. If you are a caring person and a perceptive listener, are you taking the next step to transitioning your friendships into discipleship? You know, some of you are really good in building relationships. Are you at that point where you now have to transition into making disciples? Are you brave enough to say to your friends, you know, honestly, but gently and with humility, that I care for you enough to know that God has expectations about how you should live your life? And how you should enjoy life. Life is a temporary journey. And we all know that. It's all to prepare us for the ultimate and eternal game plan to be with God in heaven. And since you know that, you know, are you willing to challenge your friend to say, hey, you know, I'm taking this journey. I believe in it deeply. Would you like to take this journey with you? Would you like to take this journey with me? You know, Gordon ended with Romans 14, 12. I want to end with that as well because this is serious. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Okay, so we are going to give account of our lives to God. We need to live our lives like Jesus did. Brothers and sisters, let's care, let's listen, and let's go make disciples. Amen. Amen.